Good morning, First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. Hope you all had great weeks. Uh, I did want to make one announcement before we dive into God's Word, and that is uh, we were able to partake of the Lord's Supper here last week um, in person, and uh, the Lord laid it on Brother Justin and I's hearts uh, that if you're interested in partaking of the Lord's Supper and, and you're stay at home in quarantine, uh, we, we have these little packets that we use that were kind of self-contained. And so we'd love to be able to lead you in that. Uh, all we would need and ask for you to do is contact us um, and let us know it's something you're interested in. And then what would happen is uh, on a Sunday, after, Lord willing, you have engaged in church and in worship with us uh, via our online um, worship, that we would be able to come to your house, maybe us and a deacon and uh, and lead you to partake in the Lord's Supper. Of course, we'll wear masks. We'll do everything we can to keep you safe in that time. But if you're interested in that, please uh, let us know. We'd love to uh, allow you to take part in that. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to dive deep into God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles open, I uh, pray that you do open them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Um, this is a, a pretty famous text, but it's a very important text for us. And so uh, Paul is writing to these Christians that he loves very deeply. And look at what he says to them. He says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. First Baptist Church of Gray Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Um, gracious Father, we do thank you for your marvelous and amazing love toward each and every one of us. Lord, whether we're your children or not, we experience your love in so many different ways. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus Christ into the world to die on the cross and to pay the penalty uh, for the sins of your people that we might have eternal life. Thank you for giving us this book that we call uh, the Bible. Thank you for the fact that it is the truth and its truth uh, changes lives. So we come before you today, Lord, asking you to open our eyes, to help us to see, to understand and grasp your marvelous word. Thank you that your word speaks on all the issues of life. And please, Father, use your word today to bring honor and glory to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they were asking me how things were going at First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. And of course, I told them how wonderful everything is going and how God's been merciful to us. Uh, but I did say one of the difficulties, one of the hardest things about being the pastor of the church that you grew up in, your home church, 
is being faced constantly with the reality and possibility of the death of someone you have loved and known for so long. In fact, there's always this tension anytime I do a funeral for a church member where there's a part of me that feels like I should be out there in the congregation with you guys uh, weeping and mourning at the loss of this loved one. And yet there's another part of me as your pastor that would hate for anybody else to be conducting the service and preaching uh, that funeral. But the reality is, the truth of the matter is, especially as a pastor, death is not something um, that is easily escapable. The reality of death is not something we can just walk away from. Death is real. It's not imaginative. It's real. In fact, even this last year, my heart has gone out to so many of you in preparing this week and thinking about how many of us have lost someone so close to us this year. Now, we've experienced the loss of a loved one, even the loss of a Christian loved one, one who is belonging and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I offer these words to you as comfort. We remember many years ago, the Apostle Paul arrived in a city called Thessalonica. And when he arrived there, he encountered a people who were dead in their trespasses and sins, a people who were serving idols, who were committing all kinds of acts of sexual morality and other heinous, wicked acts of sin. And yet Paul preached to them the gospel and, and people got saved. They turned to God from idols and they had committed their life to serving the true and living God. Not only that, they were eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. These Thessalonians, as they lived their lives, their eyes were fixed on the fact that the Lord Jesus was going to return for his people. But then if you remember, Paul was forced to leave this young church. Um, he did not want to leave, but as he describes it, he was ripped away from them. And he wanted to return to them, but he was not able. And so he did the next best thing. And he sent his son in the faith, Timothy. And Timothy goes to Thessalonica and he spends time with these believers. He evaluates them and then he comes back and reports to Paul. And he says, Paul, brother, it's, it's good news. They've got faith and they've got love, but it's not perfect news. There is some disturbing news. They still need instruction in regards to holiness, particularly in regards to holiness and sexual purity and holiness in brotherly love. And so Paul goes on to write 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, to begin to instruct them in this manner. But there's one other area that they were not doing too well in, and that is in regards to their future. They were having anxiety and worry about their future, the future of their loved ones. Now, they knew about the future. Paul had taught them about their future, but they had yet to come to a complete and full understanding of their future. They knew the Lord Jesus was going to return for his people. Uh, they knew that he was going to deliver and rescue them from the wrath uh, to come. Uh, but you see, something had happened while Paul was away. One of their members uh, of the Thessalonian church had died. So they had a funeral service. Now the Thessalonians knew that when a believer dies in the Lord Jesus Christ, their immaterial part, their soul, their spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. And they were also aware that when a Christian dies, their body goes into the grave and one day is going to be raised up. They knew that Jesus was coming back again. They knew that it was a glorious event. And so as I said earlier, they were eagerly faithfully waiting for Jesus to come again. But there is something that they didn't know. 
in their mind, all they had been taught was that Jesus was coming again for those who were alive. They had not received instruction about what happens to Christians who die. What happens to those individuals who put their faith in Jesus and die before Jesus comes again. And so Paul comes back and he reports to Timothy and he says, Timothy, man, they're really, really grieving. They are Paul. They're really, really grieving. They're in sorrow. They're struggling with the loss of these loved ones. And so uh, Paul, they need your help. They need encouragement. They need instruction. They need words of wisdom. They have hopeless sorrow going on in their lives. Paul, you've got to help them. And so Paul writes 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 8 through 13 to address that issue. What happens to a believer who dies before the Lord returns? Will they miss out on that glorious event? So Paul writes these six verses and praise God that he does. Because these six verses have proven to be so precious and valuable in the lives of so many Christians. They have been preached and proclaimed at many a Christian funeral. So let's look at the text and examine uh, who this text is about. Paul is going to tell us particularly a particular group of people he's referring to, and he lists it there in the middle of verse 13. He refers to them as those who have fallen asleep. This is who this text is about. So what about those who have fallen asleep? asleep. Well, it reveals to us three facts about them. But before we even look at those facts, first, I I want us to realize just simply the identity of those who have fallen asleep. Who are these that have fallen asleep? What is their identity? The identity of those who have fallen asleep. When Paul says those who have fallen asleep, who does he have in mind? Well, let's look at all of this text. It tells us in uh, verse 14, he refers to them that those who are asleep literally through Jesus. In verse 15, he refers to them again as those who are asleep. And then in verse 16, he refers to them as those who are dead in Christ. So who are these individuals? Well, I think that phrase, dead in Christ, in verse 16, gives us an important clue and hint. He's referring to Christians who have experienced physical death. Christians who have experienced physical death. And friends, this will be our story. This will be the norm. Just because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ does not mean that we will be excused from physical death. The only way we'll be exempt from this is if the Lord Jesus returns while we're still living. Otherwise, it has been appointed once for man to die. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ does not override the reality of physical death due to sin having come into the world. And so Paul is referring to these people who have died physically in Christ as those who are asleep, but he's not referring to them as asleep in the same way that you might fall asleep during perhaps, you know, a Sunday morning sermon while it's being preached in church. No, that's not what he's referring to. So if you need a little nudge to wake up, Paul's not really talking to you, but he, uh, there is a word for those of you who might be asleep right now listening to this, and it's found in Ephesians 5.14, where Paul says, awake you who sleep. Uh, but what is Paul referring to? Well, Do you remember the story where Jesus performs that wonderful miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead? Uh, If you do, you know that somebody came to Jesus and they gave him word that Lazarus had been really sick and that he died. And so Jesus tells his disciples plainly, Lazarus has fallen asleep. 
And much like we probably would, the disciples thought Jesus was referring to physical sleep. And so they say, okay, well, uh, let's not go to him and be a burden and wake him. Let's let him get some rest. And Jesus has to tell them plainly, no, I mean, Lazarus has died. So Jesus is actually the one who coined this term in referring to Christians who die in Christ as those who are asleep. And I think it's a fitting way to refer to these Christians who have died. Uh, I think Paul and Jesus in some way are portraying and using this word as sleep to display to us that those who are in Christ will not experience all of the horrible realities of physical death. Yes, we will die, but for us, death will be like sleep. We are not going to taste the full measure of physical death. And the reason we won't taste the full measure of physical death is because someone has tasted it for us. Someone died in our place and paid the penalty for our sins. He tasted death so that death now for the Christian will not be experienced to the degree that it should have been. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was the pastor of a church in Philadelphia, he's been home with the Lord now for a number of years. He used to tell the story of how his first wife had died and, and his daughters were at the funeral. And when the funeral was all over, they were driving home from the graveside. And obviously the children were disturbed and sad. Uh, and Dr. Barnhouse, who was a tremendous expositor of God's word, who wrote many significant works, even on the book of Romans, he was trying to grasp for something to be able to say to his children to provide them with some comfort. Uh, their mother had just passed away, and these were not adult children. These were uh, little children, and, and so they were mourning and weeping, and, and Dr. Gr Dr. Barnhouse is just trying to think of what in the world can I possibly say to them that would serve them well and encourage them during their time of grief. And just about that time, they were in their car driving, they had a very small car, and this tremendously huge moving truck came blowing right past them on the freeway. So much so that it blocked out the sun and it created a shadow over their tiny car. And so the truck moved on past them and it caused Dr. Barnhouse to come up with a thought. So he posed this question to his children. He said, children, would you rather be run over by a truck or by the shadow of a truck? Would you want that huge moving van to crush you or the shadow of that moving van? And honestly, they responded just like you and I would respond. We'd rather be hit with the shadow of the moving van. And Dr. Bonnerhouse took that time and said, did you know that 2,000 years ago, the truck of death ran over the Lord Jesus Christ in order that only a shadow might run over us? Did you know that? That Jesus experienced and tasted the full death for you and me in order that when we die, we experience only the shadow of death. Death in its fullness no longer has power over the child of God. That's why the Bible can talk about us when we die, the Christian, as sleeping. Because what's sleeping is not our soul. We don't buy into the erroneous teaching that our soul sleeps when a Christian dies. No, the soul of a believer, the immaterial part of a believer, goes directly into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why the Apostle Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, that to be absent with the body, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
That's why he can say in Philippians chapter 1, verses 23, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. See, it's not that our soul sleeps, it's that our bodies will sleep. That's why when we have a funeral and you walk by that open casket, you see your loved one in that casket. People say, man, it looks like he or she is is sleeping. It's the body that is sleeping. But that body one day will be resurrected. And what's interesting here is simply in how Paul refers to death as sleep. He is conveying to us the power of God. I have never, ever seen anybody raise somebody from the dead at a funeral. Despite the love, despite the compassion, despite the crying out, the touching, the feeling, I have never seen a body even move. Because physically, you and I don't have any power when it comes to death. But there is one who does have power when it comes to death. Death to him is no more than sleep is what sleep is to you and I. Now, we we can't raise a person from the dead, but surely you know how to raise somebody from sleep. You parents with teenagers might say, no, we actually don't, right? Uh, But I can come demonstrate it for you sometime uh, if you want me to do that. Um, I remember the cruel joke my brother played on me all the time when I was sleeping in on Saturdays in the Florida summer sun. and, And he would, on Saturday mornings, go into my room, pull me out of bed, wrestle me all the way until he threw me in the pool. And guess what? I was awake. Jesus, when it comes to death, he has the power to get someone out of sleep, to raise somebody from the dead. It's no contest for him. And so we need to keep that in mind. So what is it that our text says about those who have fallen asleep? Well, I want to move on now to give you three facts about the future of those who are asleep, those who are dead in Christ. Three facts about those who are asleep. And the first thing it tells us is that the future of Christians who have died can be known. The text tells us the future of Christians who have died can be known. We don't have to be in the dark when it comes to a future of a Christian who has died. We don't have to have our head buried in the sand. We can know for certainty with assurance about their future. Uh, In fact, God wants us to know what happened to Christians when they die. I want you to know that this knowledge is available to us. Paul, in his own indirect way, is communicating that the Thessalonians, that they don't have to be ignorant or uninformed. They can know with certainty concerning those who are asleep. And so Paul addresses him in verse 13. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And Paul loves this phrase, by the way, when he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, or uninformed. This is something he has said repeatedly throughout all of his letters in the New Testament. He's constantly telling Christians, I don't want you to live your lives without biblical truth. I don't want you to live your lives as pagans who don't know God. I don't want you to live your lives as if you are practical atheists who act like there is no God. And so all throughout this particular letter in 1 Thessalonians, he has said, you know, you know, you know, but now he can't says you know. He says, I want you to know. He says, I don't want you to be in a position where you don't know. And brothers and sisters, this is not just true about uh, those who are concerned about those who've fallen asleep. This is true about every area of our Christian uh, life. 
God wants us to know his truth in regards to every area. This is why we have this book. This is why this book is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that we may know that we would not be ignorant about sexual immorality, that we not be ignorant about brotherly love. The Bible has been given to us that we might know. Uh, that's why, by the way, we have growth services at our church and Wednesday nights and in Sunday school. It's why we preach in worship on Sunday morning, line by line, verse by verse through the text, because we do not want to be ignorant Christians. We do not want to be uninformed Christians. We do not want to be Christians that waste their minds. See, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, but it is a much more dangerous thing to waste for those who are in Christ. And so Paul writes to them, we do not want you to be uninformed. We do not want you to be ignorant. This knowledge about the future of your loved ones is available and Paul had a purpose in telling the Thessalonians that he did not want them to be uninformed. There was a goal there. He tells us the goal or purpose by letting them know that this knowledge is not only available about the, the future of those who had died in Christ, but this knowledge about the future of those who died in Christ is also profitable. The future of those that have died in Christ is profitable. It's beneficial. It's valuable. Again, read verse 13 with me. He says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Paul lets them know this information, it is valuable. Uh, this information, is, is, this knowledge is, is beneficial. It's practical. It's uh, profitable. It's, it will reap blessings on your life. And the other side of that, by the way, is that we tend to miss out on so much of God's blessings because we don't know his word. Because our head is in the sand when it comes to biblical truth about the realities and issues we're facing in our day-to-day -day life. Paul says, that's not my desire for you. In fact, he says, it is because you are ignorant and uninformed that you are sorrowing like those who have no hope. Paul wants to relieve them of their hopeless sorrow because hopeless sorrow is something that characterizes one who is not a Christian. Paul says, you do not sorrow like those who have no hope. Now, there can be religious systems where people think that they have hope, but the reality and truth is they have no hope. If people do not have Christ, then they are without God and without hope in this world. Paul is saying, Thessalonians, I don't want you to have sorrow like unsaved people sorrow at the loss of their loved ones. Now, he's not saying don't grieve. He's not saying that you can't cry. I mean, many tears have been shed in sorrow over loved ones even in this church. Many of us have wept and cried in sorrow. You aren't sinning in the least bit if you sorrow. Grief is natural, my friends, when it comes to the loss of a loved one, even the loss of a Christian loved one. But listen to me, my sorrow has nothing in similarity with the sorrow of unbelievers. We don't sorrow hopelessly. There is grief and sorrow because we love one another, because we will miss one another. Uh, there is so often the kind of sorrow right there that overtakes me at the grief of the loss of one of our church members. 
But that sorrow wasn't from a place of, man, I, uh, I don't know where they're at or I don't know what their future holds. I know exactly what the future holds for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, do not have sorrow like those who have no hope. Remember, friends, that even Jesus grieved. The story we examined about uh, Lazarus and the death of Lazarus. Remember what happened in that story? Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. For some of us, it's the only Bible verse we may know. And yet it's a good Bible verse to know because it teaches us a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 27, concerning the illness of his brother who came close to death. He said, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. But the difference is we have a confident expectation that when that believer in the Lord Jesus Christ dies, their soul and spirit, they go directly to be in the presence of the Lord. And we have a confident expectation that one day their body will be resurrected, raised from the ground and reunited with that soul and that spirit. So Paul says we don't have to have hopeless grief. Why, Paul? Why is it that we don't have to have hopeless grief? Well, Paul gives us the reason in verse 14. In this verse, we see this knowledge about the future of those who are asleep. This knowledge about their future is glorious. The knowledge about those who have died in Christ is glorious. He's going to tell us something wonderful, something magnificent, something that is going to turn their sorrow into joy. So that they're no longer weeping and crying, thinking that their loved one who has passed has somehow missed out on the return of Christ. Paul says to the Thessalonians, look, you don't have to sorrow like those who have no hope. Why? Well, look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. See, this glorious knowledge is rooted in the Christian faith, in what we believe. Paul gives the Thessalonians kind of a conditional statement there, doesn't he? He says, for if we believe, believe what? The centrality of the truth of the gospel. We believe that Jesus died. We believe that he rose again. Christians believe that Jesus tasted fully for his people. It wasn't just sleep for Jesus Christ. It was the embracing of the fullness of death. He was separated from his father so much that he cried out, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the father turned his back on the son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus died. And we die on that tree truth. We believe in the death, the real death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter puts it this way, Christ died having been put to death. That is what we believe. But friends, that's not the end of the story. You know the rest. He rose again. Jesus, the one who was put to death, the one who was put in the tomb in the third day, he rose again. That is what we believe. You aren't a Christian if you don't believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, if we believe. In some ways, he could be saying to the Thessalonian church, do you believe? And I say to you, if you were under the sound of my voice here this morning, do you believe that Jesus died? Do you believe that Jesus rose again? If you believe that 
you should also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. What we would have expected Paul to say is that if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that Christians, when they die, they will rise again. But Paul goes beyond that. He says if we are certain about the death and resurrection of Christ, then we must also be certain that God is going to bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep through and in Christ. Those individuals, when God brings his son back to heaven, are coming with the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, Thessalonians, what are you hopelessly sorrowing over? What are you hopelessly grieving about? Those who are dead in Christ are not going to miss the glorious return of my son Jesus. Uh, so there's no need for the Thessalonians to sorrow like those who do not have hope. And Lord willing, next Sunday, we're going to see that the future of these dead Christians has been planned. God is going to unfold for us, Paul is going to unfold for us in verses 15 through 17, a marvelous, wonderful plan that God has for Christians who have died prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we will have natural sorrow when a Christian dies. We will have grief. But we don't have to sorrow like those who do not know the Lord Jesus. Why? Because the word of God says that these Christians who die before Christ comes, they are not going to miss out on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be participants even. In fact, we'll look at next week that they will be prioritized participants. And I know that this is probably shorter than most sermons that I've preached, but I, we've gone through so much this last year that I wanted this to just sit with us, for this to resonate with us, that there is no need for us to hopelessly sorrow. And praise be to God that that's the case. Praise be to God that he has made it the case. The question is, do we believe? Do we believe that that's the case? In fact, are we having hopeless sorrow for the grief of our loved one because we really don't know and believe in the return of Christ? We don't really believe in the death of Christ and what it purchased for us. Friends, if that's the case, then I want you to know the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died and rose again. And if that is the case, then friends, he is coming again. And when he comes again, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. What a glorious, wonderful truth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we don't have to be in the dark concerning what will happen to a Christian who dies before the coming of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you have given us uh, insight and truth concerning the future of Christians. That this truth is available to us, that we can read it, we can study, we can know it. So we don't have to be ignorant. Father, we thank you that this truth is practical, that it's beneficial, that truth makes a difference in how we live our lives. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to go around grieving for loved ones who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ but have died in, in hopelessness. We don't grieve for them. Thank you that we don't have hopeless grief, but we can have confidence that we can realize that to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what your word reveals. Help us to realize just as certain as we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we certainly believe that those who have died in Christ will be brought back to heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Thank you that you love us so much that you have told us in your word, your marvelous plan, what it is for those who are alive when Christ comes and those who have died before Christ comes. Help us to be comforted by these truths, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, friends. The invitation is very clear this morning. Um, The grief in your life, is it hopeless sorrow? Is it hopeless grief? Um, If it is, then it may be a reflection that you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so uh, if you feel that way, or even if you're just a Christian and you're just wrestling with this, remember, we as Christians, we struggle and wrestle with these things in this world. If you're wrestling with this and you just need encouragement or prayer, I want you to know we are always available to you. We'd be happy to help and to minister to you in whatever way uh, we can. And so we thank God for each and every one of you. We pray God's blessings upon you this upcoming week. We still Uh, want you to be reminded that this is not something you're supposed to be used to, that there's still supposed to be a longing in your heart to be with your brothers and sisters. We pray that you have that, and we pray that that time comes soon, that you can be in this place with us on Sunday morning. We love you, church family. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.